full, isn't it? So, you know, although it's uh, still 2022 on the secular calendar, today is, is New Year's Day in the Christian church here. You feel any older? Uh, because today uh, we begin the Advent season and with it a whole new lectionary cycle of Scripture readings. Uh, and, and just in case you're, you're wondering what that might mean um, or why it's important, the lectionary is a, is a three-year cycle of passages that are assigned for each Sunday uh, and each Christian holiday with specific readings for each one uh, from the Old Testament, uh, a reading from the Psalms, from the Epistles, uh, and from one of the four Gospels. And the idea behind it being to ensure that if we follow that lectionary, that over time a congregation will be exposed to every major theme of the Word of God uh, during that three-year cycle. And it also prevents pastors, as well as the people of the church, from focusing only on those passages of Scripture that we want to focus on uh, and, and that we're comfortable with. And it keeps us from avoiding the, the challenge and the conviction of the ones that you know, maybe some of us would just as soon weren't in there. Uh, the cycle of readings are, are labeled uh, for years A, B, and C in a revolving pattern. And we've just closed out year C last Sunday with its primary focus on Luke's gospel. And today we're beginning all over again with year A, uh, a year that's really about getting back to basics because year A in the lectionary focuses on the very first of the gospels, the gospel of Matthew. A gospel that begins quite literally at the beginning uh, and really takes off seamlessly right where the Old Testament leaves off by introducing us to the story of Jesus of Nazareth as the long-expected Jewish Messiah uh, sent to the world to remind its people who they are and whose they are. And one commentator said it like this. He said, uh, Matthew's gospel is all about identity. It's about discarding the old incomplete identity that enslaves us and receiving a radical new identity, one in which old attachments must be swallowed up as Christ awakens us to the reality of who he is so that in turn we may be more fully aware of who we are and more alert to the coming of his kingdom. Which takes us directly to our lectionary reading for today, which is going to come from guess where? Matthew, very good. <laughs> uh, Gospel of Matthew chapter 24, and I'm going to be reading to you from verses 42 to 50. So brothers and sisters, listen for the voice of the Spirit. Matthew tells us, therefore, uh, this is Jesus speaking, therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Now, truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, oh, my master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. And thanks be to God. And let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you uh, for this brand new uh, lectionary year, this brand new focus uh, this year on the Gospel of Matthew. Father, we ask 
Uh, this morning, as, as we kick it off, even though it's kind of starting from the end of the story, uh, we ask you, Father, as we kick this off, that you would lend us your Holy Spirit uh, to teach us, to write your word on our hearts, uh, and to bring us, Father, a message directly from your lips today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, you can pretty easily see that the key ideas in, in those passages have to do with either, uh, on the one side, keeping alert, keeping awake, and watching for the return of Christ, or in failing to do that, and about which side you identify the most with. And you may be tempted to think, you know, hey, Pastor, that, that Scripture text is a little bit of an odd reading for the first Sunday of the Advent season because, you know, we usually think of Advent as a season of waiting for Christmas. And that's true. It is. But that's only part of the story because the story of Advent calls us to a dual focus of waiting uh, just as, as Tom and Betty alluded to in their reading, uh, waiting not only for the celebration of the incarnation of Christ on December the 25th, but also the eager anticipation of Christ coming again. And, and so it's designed uh, to be an eager anticipation of that coming. It's designed to be an act of waiting because it's more than just you know, patience and, and expectation. It involves dynamic participation. Because those of us who are waiting for Jesus are hopefully not just passively sleeping through life, uh, allowing time to go by, but we're up and we're dressed and, and we're watching for the dawn to break. But, you know, that kind of thing is not very popular uh, in our culture today, is it? Right? We don't like to wait for anything. Um, I, I was looking around on Amazon and I saw that instant cameras are making a comeback. Uh, you know, we take our clothes to same-day dry cleaners. We like to buy our food at fast food drive throughs and we get mad, you know, if there aren't enough hot, fresh French fries available for us immediately when we pull up, you know, and they make you pull into that little side lane. And then you, then you get mad as you see other people just breezing by with the stuff they wanted, right? Uh, impatient drivers, tailgate people they think are driving too slow. Uh, you know, we, we could go on and on with that. So, um, I don't know about you, but I'll be honest when I say it kind of pinches me a little bit that our, our text today, uh, our Lord talks about waiting. Uh, and we hear Jesus talking about waiting because I'm not particularly good at that. But to illustrate his point, our, our Lord tells a, a little parable, a little short parable about a man who goes on a journey. Uh, he doesn't tell his servants where he's going. He doesn't tell them when he's coming home. And he leaves his servants in charge of his home and his property, and he gives them work to do while he's away. And then he leaves with the expectation as he you know, pulls that front door closed that the servants will work diligently and keep themselves ready for his return whenever that might be. And it's kind of like, uh, this hasn't happened for the kids yet much, but it's kind of like that first time you know, a teenager gets left at home and your parents trust you to stay while they're away for a whole weekend. Uh, not going to happen, but... <laughs> Uh, but you know, but they, they trust you to look after the house and, and they give you instructions on what they expect you to do while they're away. And, and then, you know, when mom and dad have finally gone, how, phew, there's, that, there's that wonderful feeling of freedom, right? The whole, the whole house is yours, right? You, you can eat whatever you want. You can, you can drink whatever you want. You can leave your clothes all over the place like you didn't do that already anyway. Um, stay up late as you like and then sleep all the way until you know, lunchtime the next day if you want to. But if the parents come back to find mom's plants unwatered and wilted uh, and that all the food has been cleaned out of the cupboards and, 
uh, not one more dish will possibly fit into the kitchen sink and you've run out of clean underwear, uh, it may not be a very happy homecoming, right? Uh, on the other hand, though, if you take your parents' instructions seriously, you, you do your best to carry them out and to keep things up. Because, I mean, after all, right, they could come home at any time. And it would be a little late to get into a flurry of, of making beds and washing dishes and sweeping floors and doing laundry when you hear the family car come pulling into the gravel driveway, right? Or even worse, what if you woke up in the middle of the night to find your parents standing at the end of your bed catching you totally unprepared, right, with the house in a wreck? And so in the same way, Jesus' parable tells us to watch. and tells us to be ready while at the same time reminding us that we have jobs to do while he's away. Uh, and we need to keep that in mind and in the forefront of our minds as we enter this holy season because the stuff that we're talking about is important not to miss. Especially when many times with all of the preparation for the holidays, we get lost in the secular commercialism of Christmas as you know, we've got all the decorating and, and shopping and card giving that consumes these next four weeks and sidetracks us from the essential message of the season. Because, church, it's into this, this cultural setting that we're in that we're met with the single most dramatic news the world has ever heard, the message that God came to dwell among us, and that, ready or not, He's coming back. And so as we go through these next four weeks, there is, as I said, a deliberate, uh, a twofold approach to this Advent season as we prepare to celebrate Jesus' first coming, his, his first advent in Bethlehem, but also reminding ourselves that Jesus will come again. And even though we can't know everything about exactly how or when that's going to happen until it does, there are some facts we can hold on to that are straight from the lips of our Lord Jesus himself. Uh, and the first is uh, that we can know the general time, but not the precise moment when Christ will return. And so again, I repeat, as I, I told you in previous sermons, I think two, three weeks ago, uh, date setters beware. Jesus said no one knows the day or the hour. The best that we can do is read the signs. Uh, but of this much we may be sure, church, Jesus Christ is coming back again. And you can take that to the bank. It is more certain than the existence of the sun in the sky. And he's told us that heaven and earth may pass away, but his word, which in this context means the message of his return, will never pass away until it's completed, because we can always trust God to keep his word. Second truth I think this reveals is Jesus will return, uh, as he says, at a time when the world is completely unprepared. You know, I said at the beginning, uh, you know, there's two kinds of waiting, right? There's like, there's passive waiting, and there's active waiting. And I'll give you just a really quick example Vicki and I were talking about this not too, too long ago. Uh, before we moved to Florida, and you might have done this, we went on this uh, fall foliage train ride trip. Has anybody done that back in Pennsylvania? Okay. Oh, Miss Gloria, yeah. Oh, it, okay. Well, if I remember right, it was like this Amtrak train route from, uh, I think, Altoona to Johnstown. And it gives you this great close-up view of all the amazing, you know, range of colors that Pennsylvania trees get close to the end of the year. Uh, but it's a really popular trip, and you may remember this. Uh, you got to get there early, and you got to be willing to wait if you want to sit all together, because the thing is packed. And I don't know about you guys, but whenever you know I'm at a train station or at an airport or wherever, I think it's interesting to watch people. Right? Anybody else people watch? Yeah. And sometimes it's interesting to watch how people wait. And I don't remember the exact events of that day, but just just for the sake of the illustration, imagine with me you're in that railway station with me. 
Uh, people are waiting on the arrival of the train, and you notice uh, in this one corner of the waiting area, there's this man sitting on a bench who's already dozed off, right? I mean, he, he's, he's waiting for the train, yes, but while he's waiting, he gets bored. And so he decides to catch up on a little sleep, and he thinks, eh, there's still plenty of time for the train to come. And so for now, he's, he's sleeping. He's, he's passively waiting. But then on the other side, right up close to the window of the station, there's a little boy who's also waiting for the train, but he's excited. He's got his nose pressed to the glass. He, he's one of those kids that can't sit still. Uh, he, he's even popping his head in and out of the station door, and he, he looks up and down the tracks because he's not sure which direction the train is going to be coming from, and, and he does not want to miss it. And so he's waiting with expectation. He's waiting with excitement. He's, he's waiting on tiptoes because he's expecting the arrival of that train at any moment, and he's going to be ready when it gets there. So he's actively waiting. And today, brothers and sisters, you and I have to decide how we're going to wait, right? How are we going to spend whatever is left of this world and of our lives until the Lord comes back? And, and which of those identities do we want to embody? Right? We can choose to wait passively like the, the man sleeping in the corner just breathing oxygen and taking up space uh, because, of course, that doesn't require very much energy, uh, no attention, and no commitment on our part, like as if, well, you know, God knows where we are. When he wants to find us, he knows where to find us. And in the meantime, just dealing with our own concerns and looking after our own needs and pursuing our own pleasures uh, with no real need to bother about prayer, worship, Bible study, or, or with deliberately and attentively living out the Christian life. Or we can wait like that little boy with eager anticipation with a kind of waiting that does involve prayer and worship and missions and reading the Bible and deliberately and actively living the Christian life and going out of our way to serve others and not just looking to our own needs, knowing that Jesus will return and that, like in the parable, his absence doesn't mean forgetting about the Master and what he wants us to be doing, but attentively waiting and being prepared for whenever that moment of his arrival might be. And so we've got to choose because, you know, on the one hand, uh, you know, if you don't really believe Jesus is going to return, it doesn't really matter what you do. But if you do believe it and you do know that Jesus will keep his word and come again, then we need to examine just how active we have been in waiting. Because the work of the kingdom, the work of the master has been entrusted to us, to you and me, his servants, and he expects us to be faithful. And he expects us to be active in carrying it out. And so that when he does return, he's going to find us diligently doing those things he's given us to do. Which, by the way, really makes Advent season the perfect time in the church here to consider just how well we're waiting on Jesus. Right? It's a good time to ask ourselves questions like, how seriously have I taken the fact that Jesus died and rose for me? How, how well am I really and truly waiting on him to come again? Have I maybe become disinterested and aloof from God and from full participation in his church and with his people? Have I been uh, half-hearted and lukewarm about living the life that God wants me to pursue and just kind of done my own thing? Uh, am I content just to say a prayer every now and then when I think of it? How well and how often have I worshipped God or has it become a matter of boring routine? 
Have I been going about my daily activities without any reference to God or giving any thought to his presence? Uh, we talked about this a little bit in Sunday school this morning. Has there been maybe a particular sin that I'm letting get the better of me? Do I find that I'm a people pleaser and a crowd follower, waiting for the winds to blow all in the right direction before I step out in faith and, and let people know that I find my identity in Christ and I'm actually watching for him to come back? Because you know, we, we spend a lot of time waiting for stuff, don't we? Right? In fact, someone worked out that we spend at least six months of our lives just waiting at traffic lights. But you know, there's nothing more important than waiting on the return of the master. And if that's true, then what we do while we're waiting is also important. And so are we doing it like the man who's dozing away at the railway station, unaware of the approaching train? Or are we eager and actively waiting like that little boy? You know, if you remember, and this is in your bulletin this week, but I, I told you either last week or a week or two ago, someone uh, asked Martin Luther a similar question to this idea, a question about what he would do if he knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow uh, and he said, I would still plant a tree today. And he continued, just keep on doing what you know to be right while you're waiting. And whenever Jesus does come, you won't be disappointed. And so today we ask ourselves, what are you and I doing to be ready for Christ this Advent? You can see we've already planted our tree, right? But what remains to be done? And this will mean different things for different people. But here's my advice uh, brothers and sisters, live as though Jesus might come back today, but work as though he won't return for a thousand years. And, you know, I've said it before, but it is worth repeating that as a congregation, you know, we owe a huge debt of gratitude to the men and women who, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, worked and planned and sacrificed so that we can have this fantastic, uh, fully paid for facility that we worship in every Sunday. We are the recipients of their godly imagination and of their enterprise. Uh, and even though I, for one, hope Christ comes back today, if he tarries another generation, you and I need to be the same kind of faithful stewards and committed contributors as our founders were and, and continue to be. That's why, um, if, if you noticed, we don't ever ask you guys for money in this church. Not going to do it, not going to start. Uh, we only take the four weeks of Advent uh, each year to ask for your support. Uh, we use those pledge forms inside your bulletin to gauge your commitment level to the mission and the work of ministry here so that leadership can know how best to guide this house of worship intact to coming generations. Um, but, but this year, I really I want us to go one step further toward that goal, and I'm actually asking directly for your support and for your help because together uh, there is something very significant and concrete that you and I can do uh, to move ahead. And I'll give you just a little bit of background. For those of you that have been here since the, the very beginning, uh, since this fellowship was just a tiny little uh, house church on 18th Street, you know we've had a, a crisis or two of identity. Uh, not because we've been the problem, but because the world around us keeps uh, going insane and, and, and luring the institutional church to follow along as it lurches to the left uh, instead of the church being actively awake to the imminent return of Christ and and having it waiting busily about the business of his kingdom, the church at large prefers instead to be woke, right? You know, woke instead of awake. Uh, to lifestyles that are the antithesis of everything we stand for. And it didn't just happen yesterday. Uh, it's been an ongoing battle uh, for us, particularly here, beginning all the way back in 2005, 
uh, when very bold men like Dave Schneck and, and Dick George, would you guys just stand up, Dave and Dick? I didn't figure you listened to me anyway. When, when both of these men back here and some other very godly folks here worked very courageously and diligently, thank you guys, to move us specifically away. Yes. Um, and guys, this is very germane to what's going on in the Methodist Church and all these things. Those, those two men and, and the council here worked very diligently to move us away from the United Church of Christ and from the Congregational Church Organization because of its, its horrible drift uh, away from the sound teaching of Scripture. Uh, and because of the denomination's endorsement of homosexuals uh, and their lack of ethics in putting unqualified people in pulpits. Uh, but to do that, and Dave's going to talk about it a little bit next week, uh, to do that, to break away from them and their stranglehold over this building and over our property, those churchmen not only had to raise, was it $20,000? $20,000 within a very tight deadline, 30 days? 30 days. 30 days to, to pay off the loan uh, they also changed the name of the organization at that time from Bradford UCC to First Congregational Church of Zephyr Hills. And I tell you that because with the help of those same men uh, who, praise God, are still with us and with your support and with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, who just will not let me rest about this, I want us to take one more giant leap now from the reputation of those folks, those folks who... Uh, are now so paganly influenced in the UCC that they're sold out to the trans and congregational movement uh, and, and the, the alphabet people and, and you name it. Uh, and with your help, have us change our name one last time so we can fully and completely uh, finish the work that Dave and Dick began 17 years ago and, and brush off the taint and the stench of all those other first congregational churches that are littered across America who at this very moment are damaging our reputation with their rainbow flags and their BLM banners and their trans story hours for kids and have us as a people separate ourselves unto the Lord and stand in our own Christ-centered identity going forward as Fairview Community Church of Zephyr Hills. And I'm going to be asking you for the members next week for your support to do that. And so we can go forward from there uh, with our allegiance to King Jesus only. And well then, quite honestly, all the rest of the UCC churches and the congregations out there can go to hell. Uh, because as long as I'm your pastor, this church will never go woke. As long as you keep me. As, as long as you keep me, you have my word, this church will never become woke. But will instead become increasingly awake and steadily more prepared for the coming of our Savior and for the building up of his church and of this community so we can carry on the ministry of the gospel both now and into the future, right up to the day that Christ comes back. Whether it's in my lifetime or in JJ's lifetime or in his children, we, we don't know. But what we can hold on to is that when everything is in place according to God's plan, Jesus will come back. And not a moment earlier and not a second later. How close is that? Um, we don't know. Perhaps very close, certainly closer than we may think. But until then, each day we need to live as though that day might be our last because one day you're going to be right. Uh, and the hope and the promise of Advent as we wait together for that coming day uh, is that one day the master is no longer going to be delayed and his kingdom is going to come in all of its fullness. 
and he needs to find us awake and ready to joyfully receive him. And if you aren't ready, if you've been sleeping through life, I say to you today in Jesus' name, wake up. It's time to get your house in order. It's time to prepare yourself for his advent and to do it before you leave this sanctuary and listen for the voice of the master as we pray. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, I ask you to be in this moment so very real to any that, uh, that don't know you here, uh, that you would come alongside them, Father, and draw them to yourself, that you would open blind eyes and unstop deaf ears. We ask you, Lord, that you'd allow us to move ahead in faith uh, as we complete the, the work and the legacy of, of men like Dick and Dave and, and the founders of this, this little church, uh, that you would help us, Father, to honor you now not only with our finances and with our organizational structure, uh, but you'd help us to honor you, Lord, with our reputation, uh, that we would go forward with uh, a brand new name that will separate us, Father, from those uh, who seek to bring disrepute to the gospel, uh, who treat the gospel as cheap merchandise and use it for the advancement of sinful lifestyles. And so, Father, I ask that uh, you would make this a day of reformation and revival uh, for this people. Uh, and we trust in you, Father, for all the things you're about to do in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you please join me for the Apostles' Creed and for our closing hymn. So, brothers and sisters, let's confess together what we believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.